0: In this Author Snack Series, we speak with author Tanya Silveratnam, who just released Assume Nothing, a story of intimate violence, about her abusive relationship with former New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. So Tanya, one of the things that struck me in reading your book is that this had never happened to you before, and it also made me think if he wasn't so powerful, it wouldn't have happened this time.
1: I had... truly never been in an abusive relationship before. And when it first started happening, it was so shocking because of who my abuser presented as publicly, as an advocate for women's rights, as a progressive hero, as a liberal champion, and also because he had what seemed like a friendly relationship with his ex-wife. So I thought that the abuse was specific to me because It started happening when the national spotlight was increasing on him and there was more pressure on him and his drinking increased. But then later I found out that in fact, I was part of a very long pattern of his abusing women. How did you find that out? It was about a month after the relationship ended. I have a friend who's an investigative reporter who had come with me to get my things from his place when he was not there. And within 24 hours, She texted me saying, I have some info, can you talk? She had connected with an old family friend of hers who happened to know one of Eric's previous girlfriends and asked casually, did you ever hear anything about Eric from this woman? And immediately he launched into talking about the abuse. That sounded eerily similar to mine. And although at the time I had no interest in coming forward and sharing my story. I really wanted to get on with my life. When I found out that there was this other woman who was almost a decade before me, I thought I wondered how many more are there in between and before. So that's how I found out. It was like the universe sent me the sign. And I'm still kind of amazed at that cosmic convergence. And it was painful to think about coming forward. But I also knew that I had to.
0: When you had this book come out again, you didn't want to be known as the sexual assault victim of, you know, New York's attorney general. So how did you reconcile that? And
1: what has happened since I wrote the book because I had so many people reaching out to me sharing their own stories of intimate violence. And I wondered, why aren't we able to talk about this? You know, why aren't we able to talk about these difficult experiences that are so common when you hear the statistics that one in four women will experience some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetimes? I really wanted to, you know, as I say the book in the book, split the world open by sharing our stories, because by sharing our stories, we take the shame and the stigma out of it because the shame and the stigma leads to the secrecy, which prevents us from healing and also prevents us from finding solutions. So I wanted to shift the perception of what a victim looks like. It's uncomfortable for me to keep talking about the subject, but I also hope it helps people. Were you ever physically afraid
0: after you told your story?
1: I was terrified uh, because my abuser was the top law enforcement officer in New York State. And until I came forward, and even right after I did, I believe that you can't anticipate how much someone will snap when they feel their power being taken away. And because I've had many friends who have been threatened with physical violence, with having their careers and reputations ruined by powerful abusers. But I really had to kind of put my faith in the universe and surround myself with friends and loved ones and a community of support, my coven, um, so that I felt protected by them, that they would have my back.
0: There's such a contrast between how independent you are as a person and the situation you found yourself in. How did you reclaim your feeling of safety, of moving around in the world safely?
1: It took time. It's still taking time because I was uncomfortable being visible. I was uncomfortable being out in public, but that's where the sisterhood and friends are so important and played such a role in my recovery by surrounding me with love and also giving me opportunities to find joy. I'm also really grateful that I'm an artist, that I could write my way out of the darkness and that I could experience art and that helps me heal. So those are just some Ways that I found a way to go from being a victim to a survivor to a thriver. And it is an ongoing process. Has Eric responded to the book? He has not responded to the book, but it was soon after the book came out that an investigation into his actions was concluded and he agreed to discipline by consent. He agreed to... um, Confirm the veracity of the allegations against not just myself, but two other women who were part of the original investigation by Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow. He was disbarred for a year while he has to undergo mental health counseling. So I take that in part as a response.
0: And how did that make you
1: feel? I felt like I could. My shoulders went down. I felt like I could breathe. I felt like I could walk a little bit lighter. Do I feel that justice was served? I felt that the justice was served based on the facts present in the investigation, but I feel that more needs to be done because disbarment for a year, uh, while it sends a strong message that the state of New York takes egregious personal conduct very seriously, I feel that in some ways he's still getting away with it because he can get on with his lives while his victims have to deal with the trauma for the rest of their lives. So there might be other ways that uh, that justice can happen. And I'm considering those ways now.
0: One of the things that you share in the book is how many friends and family members kind of noticed certain warning signs and were uncomfortable with his behavior towards you. In hindsight, was there anything they could have done to help you get out of there sooner?
1: Part of the reason why I wrote the book is to encourage bystanders to be upstanders. My friends supported me as much as they could based on what I was telling them. But because I wasn't opening up to them for a long time about the intimate violence, it uh, it's a difficult thing to talk to a friend about when you suspect that they might be going through abuse. So I feel that friends can be a lifeline to a victim, and don't be shy of the conversation. Be non-judgmental. be a good listener, and also have resources at your disposal that you can pass along to your friend in case they are in an abusive relationship and need to find ways to get out what
0: kind of resources would those be?
1: There are so many organizations and helplines that serve different communities, and uh, I'm very proud that the book has an appendix with dozens of organizations listed. I had a friend who did ask me tough questions that elicited responses that I did not know I was going to give. Uh, One question was, does he hit you? And when I said yes... She knew that she was not equipped to take me past that point and so she asked if I would be willing to speak with a domestic violence expert who was a friend of hers and I said yes. And after she connected me with that domestic violence expert, then I was able to recognize what I had been going through and I also was able to craft a safety plan with her help and guidance and she has remained a close ally and confidant and friend to this day.
0: Your mom's reaction to you coming forward was quite
1: strong. What was that like for you? I was sad, but I also recognized the pressure it put on her to have her daughter so public in that way. And also, it was triggering for her. You know, she herself experienced horrific domestic violence at the hands of my father So I think it made her sad, too, that it had happened to me. But I hope that mothers and daughters are able to engage with each other in conversations about this. I feel really gratified when I hear from women that they bought the book for themselves and for their mothers so that they could finally have the difficult conversations that they were never able to have before. I'm also really um, happy when I hear that men have bought the book and are reading it, and are able to understand like their own behaviors, their relationships with their parents, and also to be able to talk to their daughters and their sons about these issues. So where do you go
0: from here in terms of what's next for you? And is this something you're gonna continue in terms of advocacy work for victims of intimate violence? Or are you going to go back to your roots in the arts?
1: Well, fortunately the two are converging. So I will continue to be an advocate. I will make sure to channel Naomi Osaka when I need to and take breaks because it does wear on me to talk about the subject so much. But I think it's also important to spread the message of the book, which is to make peace and kindness more exciting than violence, which is to prioritize consent. Um, Consent must be requested and it must be obtained and to encourage mutual pleasure. And when I say that the two, my, my work in the arts and my work around the subject are converging, I am the senior advisor for gender justice narratives for the Pop Culture Collaborative. So I am finding ways to shift the narrative waters around gender justice, which is not just about women, but tied to all forms of oppression, to immigration, LGBTQAI plus rights, disability immigrants um and 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 racism so working on that and then also the book is being turned into a television series which which is an unexpected outcome i did not plan for it to be turned into a series but i was very fortunate that abc signature and disney television with joanna coles as executive producer optioned the book and are turning it into a series because then it means it'll reach a whole different audience than the book than the book will
0: In terms of your personal life today, how did the relationship impact how you're viewing your future relationships? And are you in a
1: relationship now? I'm not in a relationship now, but I do feel like it's summertime. (laughs) I'm ready for a relationship. Uh, It took me a while to be able to be intimate with a man again. I was nervous. I was scared. Um, What if he turned out to be abusive? What if he looked at me the way that Eric Schneiderman looked at me, the scars that run down my torso, criticizing them. But I was very fortunate to meet somebody who was nice and kind and has become a friend. And uh, I now know what I won't put up with. I also now know now how to spot and stop and prevent intimate partner violence. So I will be able to see the signs much sooner. And. I structured the book around the stages that I went through to get entangled in an abusive relationship the fairy tale stage the entrapment the isolation the demeaning the controlling and then the physical abuse so I hope that by taking the reader through those stages that they'll be able to spot the violence before it happens to them too and to recognize their own agency and their own power I think also you know women uh, tend to be sensitive caregivers. We want to help the person, even if they're abusive. I definitely was in that situation. But we have to prioritize ourselves and our well-being.
0: What will your next book be about?
1: I, <laughs> um, I'm very excited about... Um, I'm working on two books that I, I've been taking a lot of notes for. Uh, one is called "Leave Me Alone. And it's about biophilia. I think like a lot of people during the pandemic, I discovered a love of houseplants. (laughs) I was never able to have houseplants before because I traveled so much for work. So I'm working on a novel. It's kind of a fantasia about humans and their relationship to plants. And then I've long wanted to write a book about Sri Lanka and about my grandmother, who's a main character in Assume Nothing. So I want to write a book through her eyes about my birth country, Sri Lanka, which has been through so, so much. Um, And I also want to write a companion guide to assume nothing but for girls.
0: Before we end, I just want to go back to one thing about the bystander effect and how you're encouraging people to speak up when they witness their family, their friends involved in relationships that don't seem healthy.
1: Is there ever a time not to get involved? I think... When we see or suspect violence and abuse, we can't just watch. We can't just stand by. It's the big reason that I came forward is because I did not want another woman to be abused by him. That was the main motivator for me. And I believe that the safety of women is a threat to male power. And we all need to do our part to chip away at that conditioning. And part of that is in being an upstander. I think about the anti-Asian hate crimes that happened over the past few months and the people who just stood by and watched while people were being attacked. And while it is extremely important to safeguard your own self, your own body, there are ways in which you can be an upstander, that don't put yourself at risk, and it might be by reaching out to an organization. There are organizations and communities that are equipped to deal with these situations. But I think a first step, if you know the person, if they're a friend or a neighbor, is to engage them in conversation, because you never know when that person might be willing to talk.
0: If you enjoy What's Her Story with Sam and Amy, please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and do let us know what you think of the author snack series by commenting on Instagram at what's her story podcast.